Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Well, all right. Well, good morning. How we doing, church? All right. All right. Hey, it's okay to smile in church, though. You guys know that? That's a good thing. Hey, we're going to be in Galatians 3, starting in verse 19, so you can find your way there. We're continuing this series called By Faith. If you haven't caught already, we're several weeks into this series, and it's by faith, everything. Right? By faith, we know God. By faith, we're known by God. By faith, we follow God. By faith, drives everything we do. And by faith, is pleasing to God, which we'll see this morning. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, More Than Rules. More Than Rules. And what we've seen is God's law over and over, and we're going to look at it again today. But I want us to think about what it means more than rules. And as I think about rules and laws, let me give you a couple current rules and laws that are still in effect throughout the country. In Hawaii, did you know you're not allowed to have a coin in your ear? Do you know that? Strange, right? Like some of these rules, like what? How? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Maryland, you cannot wear a sleeveless shirt in a public park, or you'll be $10 fined, right? There's that. Yeah, I know. Missouri, it's illegal to drive with an uncaged bear in the car. Which gets even funner because it means it's legal to drive with a caged bear. Do that with what you will. In Texas, it's illegal to sell your eye. So if you're in that market, don't go to Texas. In New Jersey, it's illegal for a man to knit during fishing season. Tries all kinds of questions, right? Like, why would, why? I don't have no idea. Washington, this is, this is valid, right? Washington, it's illegal to hunt, kill, or otherwise harass Bigfoot. That's a law. So if you have that intention, don't go to Washington. In Georgia, you cannot have an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sundays. So these laws seem strange. And I didn't go time like research the background on each of them, but that was interesting to me. And it goes back for a while back, obviously, where on Sunday mornings, people would be at church. I know, crazy talk, I, I realize that. But people actually used to go to church on Sunday mornings, and then people with bad intentions would steal horses. And they would do so by having a back, an ice cream cone in their back pocket so the horse would easily follow them. Isn't that crazy? So if you want to steal a horse, there's a tip for you. Wouldn't suggest it. But it's crazy, when we start thinking about laws and rules and things, where a lot of times we, we don't listen to them, we don't want to obey them, because we don't know the why. They seem pointless, maybe even dumb. But I want to see this morning that as we look at God's law, they're more than rules and they're actually quite good and for a purpose. And last week we saw that we're not under God's, the, the law anymore, but we're under grace and what that means. And we're continuing to dig into that. But today we're going to see that Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, that's why I called it Galatians, proposes two questions in anticipation to answering the coming objections that the people in Galatia would have. The objections... Basically, go along the line of, so, if the law does not bring justification, if the law does not bring life, and yet the law does bring a curse, what good is the law? Why have it? And I think it's a valid question. And that's what we see the first question he proposes in Galatians 3.19. You can look at that with me. It says, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator 
Now, a mediator is not just from one person alone, but God is one. And so what Paul does is like a recap, once again, of his entire letter so far. He points to the promise, the law, and the seed. And this promise we see in Genesis 3 was given by God to Abraham, basically called to follow by faith. That's what we see throughout all of history, all through Scripture. Followed by faith, we're brought into a relationship by faith, and we're declared righteous by faith. Then we see some 430 years later, the law was given from God through Moses to the Israelites. And we see that in Exodus 20 on the Mount Sinai. And then the seed, he clarifies, that of Christ Jesus. And this seed actually goes back to the first sin, the beginning of all creation. We see that in Genesis 3.15. It's called a proto-evangelium. That means the good news that's even coming. It says this, so we have man and woman that decide, you know what, God, I see your law, I see your rules, I like my way better. So I know it's the one tree, but I'm going to eat and do what I want. And so they did, and sin came in, and it separated that relationship that they enjoyed with God. And a curse came down, and when God speaks to the serpent, the deceiver, he says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring, which is a word for seed, and her offspring, seed, he will strike your head and he will strike his heel. The point is that one day I will bring a deliverer. And so I was always looking forward to this coming person that the, the Old Testament says Messiah, the New Testament says Christ, same word, same person. It says he will come and he will smash your head. Sure, you'll strike his heel, but you'll strike Smash his head, completely conquer you and bring in forgiveness, salvation to my people fully and finally. So it's always been by faith looking forward. Now it's by faith looking backward at the finished work of Christ. It's always been by faith. And so then we see his first question in anticipation of the objections coming. Why was the law given? Which leads to the second question in verse 21. It says, is the law therefore contrary to God's purposes? He says, absolutely not. For if by the law we had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. And so he has two questions with two quick answers. One, why then was the law given? He answers, for the sake of transgressions, sin. Two, is the law then contrary to God's promise? He says, absolutely not, categorically not. May it never be, absolutely no. So it then drives the question, then what was the law's purpose? That's a good question. Well, I'm going to give us three purposes for the law this morning. So I think it's important for us to look at, is it still applicable even? So purpose number one. The law was given to show us our sin. The law was given to show us our sin. He says, for the sake of transgression, the transgression means, it's sin, it means stepping off of the right path. Thereby bringing awareness of strain while encouraging staying on the path of God's good leading. This transgression is our sin. And the Bible clearly says that we've all sinned and do sin. I mean, everybody initially was under this sinful condition to where we were separated because of our sin. Thereby, Romans 1, 18 says, 
For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness because people, by their own unrighteousness, suppress the truth. And so we're in a sinful condition, and God takes sin serious. I think we miss that sometimes. God takes sin serious. He's holy and just and righteous, and he would be very unholy and unjust and unrighteous if he didn't punish sin. Rebellion. Like when my kids rebel against me, I'd be unjust, not a good father, if I just let them rebel and go their own way to self-destruction. Isaiah 53 says it like this, We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. God's wrath is, was poured out against all ungodlessness, sin, but Jesus took God's wrath so that you and I do not have to. You can choose to. But everyone comes to faith alone, in Christ alone, Jesus bore God's wrath because we can't. We weren't meant to. Jesus talks about, in Mark 1, 15, this idea of faith being two sides of one coin. Right? Faith means believe and repent. That's what faith is. Jesus says in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the good news, the gospel. It's both. Belief drives repentance. Because when you face to face with your own sinfulness and the goodness of God's grace in Christ Jesus, and what he did and took our place, how could you not see our sin and simply say, I'm sorry? Changing our mind, what I once thought was okay, now I see is not. That's what repentance is. It's good. It's a good thing. It's actually a heart posture that says you're in line with that of God's leading. And so we see initially the sin was an issue, but we have this continual sin issue. We still sin. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, pretty sure he was a Christian. I say that sarcastically. He absolutely was, right? Absolutely following Jesus, devoted his life to knowing and being known by Jesus and devoting his life for the sake of the gospel still struggle with sin. I find this encouraging. So I'm about you. I'm sure you guys are killing it. I still struggle with sin. I do. The good thing is I struggle. I'm just not okay with it. That's the difference. That's what Apostle Paul says in Romans 7. He says, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. And there is exactly what the law is intended to do. When you see God's standards and you see my own failures, I say, who would save me? Who can save me because I can't do the things that I know I want to do and what God's standards are? I can't do them. Who will save me? The answer is in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who place their faith in Christ Jesus. So that means you are no longer unfit for use. You've been made new. That's what condemn means, right? When you condemn a building, you demolish it. Jesus says, you're no longer that person. You are new because of who I am and the newness I'm creating in you. So do we still sin? Yes. Do we still struggle with sin? Yes. If you stop struggling with sin, that's a problem. Because the Holy Spirit will not let you be okay in your not-okayness. Does that make sense? Is that just me? All right. We talk about it when it comes to the law. It's more, it's a, a mirror, not a map. 
So it's not like this checklist of things, you do this, 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 and I will earn my way into God's favor, into God's presence, and earn my way into God's love. No, it's a mirror to show you you can't. And to turn to say, God, you can. I was thinking about this a little bit. Who is thankful to have, like, real mirrors? Am I thankful to have a mirror? Okay. You can tell what kind of friends that you got. So think about this. I've done this, right? I have broccoli in my teeth. At lunch with a friend. Friend, right? And my said friend, after lunch, didn't say a thing about this broccoli I got on my teeth and won't let me walk throughout the rest of my day, meetings, talking to people, broccoli all on my teeth. Not a good friend, number one. But eventually, thankful I have a mirror to see that nastiness that I'm walking around with. Mirrors are a good thing. But when it comes to our sin, when we see the mirror of the law and say, wow, I am falling way short, then how do you get that off of you? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not going to the sink and brushing your teeth. It's coming to Jesus and say, I trust that you will forgive me because I have fallen way short and I see it. As we look at the law, the law was good, but it was never meant to be the best. It wasn't meant to replace the best. And I think about before I met my wonderful wife, Single guy, I knew how to cook two things peanut butter and jelly and mac and cheese. Oh, it's cooking. I don't care what you say. The blue box kind, right? Which I was totally satisfied with. I love some blue, bo- blue, blue box macaroni and cheese until I tasted what's better my wife's macaroni and cheese, right? Blue box, not so much anymore. That's the point he's making. You like the, the law is good, but it's not to replace what's best. Pointing to God's grace, which leads us to the purpose number two of the law. The law was given to point to God's promise. Point to God's promise. One very real intention of the law was to squeeze the do-gooder, try-harder, be-better mentality out of you. Because we can never be good enough. It's to point to the impossibility of us perfectly living in the way God expects us to. I know we, we, we don't fully get this, so I want to maybe go at this angle. For those who did make res- resolutions, it's not lost on me in January 1 that nobody makes resolutions in this church. I don't know what the deal with that is, but you guys are killing it. But people that do make resolutions, come about February, you're like, well, we'll try it again next year, right? Like we have our own standards that we can't hardly keep, if at all. Like think about the daily promises you make. Those of us who have kids, like, I know we get tired. Like, I don't want to yell at my kids. So this day, I'm not yelling at my kids. And they only make it to the school bus in the morning. You're already yelling at your kids, right? How about those who get tired of raging on the road? Like, I know it's not good, right? I know I'm not supposed to yell at people and whatever you guys do in your car. I'm not doing it today, right? Road rage stops today, and it lasts about two miles. And that person drives 10 miles under the speed limit in the fast lane, Right? Out the window. There it goes. Like, we can't even fulfill our own laws, our own expectations. But it drives us to say, God, you can, and I need you, because I see where I fall short. Maybe for the rest of us that just think we're killing it at life, right? I know there's a remnant. Like, we are killing this thing called life. I've got this thing nailed down. Matter of fact, God would be blessed by my presence on his team, right? MVP. 
Bible says this in Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. Incurable. In Psalm 14, Ecclesiastes 7, Romans 3, it says no one does good and is good. 1 John 1 tells us if we, have, we, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and actually calling God a liar. So we all have this sinful issue, but the law is point to the promise that you don't have to be stuck there. And I would hate for us to ever walk away, because I hear this sometimes at churches from other people. I visit churches, like, oh, I just came to church one time, and I got beat down, and I felt walking away like I was worthless. If you leave feeling like that, you've missed the gospel. Because God has not called you worthless. He took your place by dying the death you should have died, so you could live with him, because you are invaluable. But first, we have to see our neediness. As the law shows us our sins, it also shows us our need for a Savior. And God's promise. Hebrews 11 talks about now without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the law was never meant to replace the promise of following in faith in Christ, living some kind of law-based life. It was interesting, as I was thinking about this, just trying to live out the law if we were really to do this. People actually do this today. We had a family, we have a family that uh, had been missionaries in Israel. And they had neighbors that Lived out the law. Jewish people trying to live out exactly what the law says. The problem is that we add to it, even we don't know it. Right? So, for example, the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath. Right? In Israel, that looks a little different. For example, they have their elevators programmed to where you can get on the elevator and don't have to push a button because pushing the button would be work on the Sabbath. Breaking the Sabbath. So what it does, say the building is 15 floors, it goes by itself, they'll have a little chair there for you, and it will stop at every floor. Imagine that. So you're sitting there, 20 minutes later, still waiting to get to your apartment. If that's not crazy enough, think about this. So, same family, their neighbor, Sabbath, they sat on their remote, and the TV turned on. Well, how do you turn off the TV? Because pushing a button would be working, breaking the law on the Sabbath. But they knew that their Gentile neighbors, non-Jewish neighbors, they can go to them. But asking them to push a button would also be breaking the law because you can't ask someone to work either. So now they're in this issue of what do we do or just leave the TV on for 24 hours straight, right? So they go next door with the remote and just kind of stand there talking and invited them over. So, you know, the family goes over to this, this Jewish people's house. and So here the TV's on and they're just... Basically standing there and looking at the TV and looking back at them, looking at the TV, looking back at them, and finally they're like, oh, got it. You want me to turn off the TV? Didn't ask him, but turn off the TV for him. But like when we think about keeping the law, isn't this crazy what this could look like? You know why it's crazy? Because when we can't, it was to point towards the promise to show us we can't in our missional community yesterday, our small group, we went out to serve with Courage to Care. And in line, we're serving food to the, some of the homeless and needy down in Richmond. And one guy made a comment to one of our servers saying, oh, I guess I'm breaking my fast today, you know, because it's Ramadan. It's interesting that even if you believe that it is a workspace system, you got to obey the five pillars and you got to do these things, that you can't even fast for a couple weeks during the daytime? And then you hope that your goodness 
will somehow be better than your badness before a holy God at one point, which they believe, Islam, the Muslims believe, Jesus will judge also. But the point is, you can't be better than badder. And so when we see the own laws we strive to keep and we try to do these things, it should show us not that we're worthless scum of the earth. No, that we're priceless, but we're meant to live our own strength, but to lean on God's strength in salvation in Christ Jesus. That is one of the points here. So the law was meant to show us our sin, to point to God's promise, and thirdly, the law was given to provide good guardrails. Good guardrails. Look at verse 24, back to Galatians 3. It says, the law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And this word guardian has been translated in different ways depending on your translation, but more accurately refers to the governess, which was a form of a nanny back in this time. So this form of a nanny would be assigned to children to escort them to school, Provides supervision from about the age of six to about puberty. But instead of thinking more like nanny, like Mary Poppins, think more like full metal jacket. If you don't get that movie reference, don't watch it. Military drill drill sergeant, right? This is like a no joke. I got a job to do. And so the responsibility was to enforce learning, to bring attention to wrongdoing while bringing correcting from any strain from the standard while also guarding from the evils of society and providing training in morality. This was what the governess would do for the kids. In a similar way, what we're seeing here is the law was the disciplinarian and teacher until Christ. We have been brought from being governed-driven to grace-given, and that's a huge difference. You see a couple times, until Christ, until Christ. And the Paul really asks him the question here, how could you trade God's grace after tasting its freedom? But we see both have a purpose. The promise and the law both were given for a purpose, good purposes. And they work in cohesion, perfection together. I think about it this way. As a, as a, as a dad, I've learned a lot about God's love and patience and forgiveness. But when we see this, I see that God saying, I love you, and I have rules for you. Like with my kids, I love them, and I have rules for them, because I love them. And so for me as a dad, I tell them that I love them, and I show them that I love them, but it's up to them to believe and receive my love for them. And because I love them, I have rules for them, Because they're my children, but my rules are for good purposes. They're more than rules. My rules serve to protect them, train them, remind them of their placement in part of our family. And it's because of God's love for us, he gives us rules, laws, but are more than rules. Like, think about this, the speed limit. Whether you obey the speed limit or you don't, that's on you. But if we, I think we'd all agree that the speed limits are a good thing. Like in my neighborhood, the speed limit is 25. And people still go 50, and I'm in a cul-de-sac. Like, I don't know where you're going so fast. It's 100 feet long. So I couldn't imagine if we didn't have a speed limit. Or in a very real way, like I've 
we go snowboarding and different things, and so we're on some back roads late at night sometimes, it's dark. I'm thankful for the speed that says slow down because it's about to be like a U-turn coming ahead, right? Instead of me going 70 and have to slam my brakes and go off a road, I'm thankful for some guidance of some speed limits. They're for good purposes. They're meant for the safety of yourself and others. And I think about my two-year-old who loves playing in the street. And so our rules is that you don't play in the street without mom or dad there. And what would happen if I walked inside, left her by herself, she'd still go to the street. Like there's some kind of magnet pull for her to be in the street. And so why? Why do I say that's a rule? Don't play in the street because I'm the no fun police? Sometimes, but not in this instance. Like she is unaware of the danger that lies from her playing in the street. So as a good father, I have these rules, these guardrails in place to protect her and keep her safe. And we see God's rules, they serve in many different ways, not being one of them. They're good for us. We see God's rules slash laws are given for morality, purity, care for humanity. And when you look at them, many laws were about caring for one another and fairness. There's some lot of things about cleanliness, and cleanliness next to godliness is not one of them, right? First Opinions, chapter 1, verse 1. But there's definitely an emphasis on that. And what we see, for, there are more than rules. And for simplicity's sake, I just want to take just a couple of the big ten to see how they apply to us, the top ten. Right? And there's so many more aspects of the law versus, in addition to the Ten Commandments, but they're, they're the easiest to pick out. So let's just do a few of them to see what we're talking about here. They're more than rules, right? And I could start with do not steal, do not murder. I think those are pretty self-explanatory. I'm going to trust they are for this sake. How about keeping the Sabbath that we talked about? I'm not saying whether Sabbath is still relevant because Jesus is Lord of Sabbath. We're not getting into the doctrinal debate. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking if it's good. And when we see God rested, did he have to rest because he's worn out? Or was he setting something in place that was good? And if we're honest, you know you need rest. But here we are packing our schedules so full that we never rest. And it'll leave you spiritually bankrupt and physically burnt out. Because think about right now, most of us go so fast and so busy, we don't even think about, the God, about God, maybe on Sunday mornings, and maybe when we eat a hot dog for lunch, Right? Like we're so packed and we have so jammed in our schedules, we don't rest. And that Sabbath is such a great opportunity to set aside a day of the seven days of the week to rest physically and rest spiritually, focusing on how good God's grace is and his presence in your life. I wonder if we can slow down to take a Sabbath. I wonder if you can organize your week to just carve out a day. Maybe it's good for you. How about don't commit adultery? And I know this should go without explanation, but we're living in a culture that continues to shift to say, well, do whatever you want and all these different things. How about don't commit adultery? And Jesus says even mental adultery, right? Lust, you committed adultery. And just think about that for a second. By lusting, really, over time, or even initially, it's going to bring a dissatisfaction of your spouse. Because you're measuring your spouse over all these different things, that way people look or what you like. Instead of appreciating who your spouse is, there's a danger lurker in there. Obviously, physical adultery is betrayal of your spouse and breaking the commitment you made to the oneness of your spouse. I want to touch on this real quick because I think we really underestimate what God created sex to be. It's a bonding that God intended 
in the covenant of marriage because it brings together one man and one woman in unity in one. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about this. Don't you know that anyone joined, right, to a prostitute is one body with her. For the scripture says two will become one flesh, quoting Genesis 2, the covenant of the first marriage. And so this intimacy is only created to be in the covenant of marriage because it brings a bond. And so anything outside that, pre-marriage, shacking up, whatever you guys are doing, I say y'all, you can hear what I'm saying. You may be, stop it. But it brings a oneness that's only created for a husband and a wife. So adultery is breaking God's covenant, break design for marriage. How about do not covet? Anybody covet in here? Yeah, man, we, we straightened that, right? Oh, I really want this thing until you get that thing, and all of a sudden that thing wasn't as great as you thought it would be. I shared my Nintendo, my, my story about Nintendo a long time ago. I, I have many other issues. I'm not saying that, but Nintendo was the thing back in the 80s. Date myself a little bit. I realize that. But, man, I wanted it. I wanted it. And, man, I got it. It was awesome for about a day. Then I wanted the next thing. I wanted the next thing. The danger with coveting is you're really dissatisfied with how God's provided for you. You're saying, it's not enough. God, thanks. I need more. There's a never-ending pursuit of satisfaction that will be driven from this condition of coveting. Because you were never meant to be satisfied by stuff. Realizing never-ending pursuit of satisfaction, the great theologians, the Rolling Stones, said, I can't get no. It's true. Like, you'll never bring satisfaction because stuff was never meant to satisfy you. It's like a dog chasing its own tail. That's what I think of. Have you ever seen that? Dogs go in circles real fast until they get their tail and they're like, oh, that was cool. Now what? Wasn't quite what it was correct up to be. It really is the cycle of stupidity, if we think about it. This is what we do. We get in the cycle of stupidity. Not that stuff is stupid. It's because we are. Like, you're all good people. I got it. But we all fall in this cycle. If I can get this thing, it will make me happy. If I get this thing, finally, like whatever that thing is, a degree, the house with the white picket fence, you know, 2.5 kids, whatever it is, if I get this thing, this accomplished, I'll finally be happy. And guess what? It's never going to fully and finally satisfy you because Jesus was the only one meant to. So when we see these laws, they're actually good. How about last one, which is a personal favorite of mine? Honor your father and mother. Since we got some kids, Right? My friend that knows us so well bought us a Christmas present with doormat. Front door says, I hope you like kids. <laughs> Pretty appropriate for our household. But I love this passage. Yeah, honor your father and mother until I start reflecting on, I wonder if I'm honorable. And that's my question for dads. Are you living and loving and leading in a way that's honorable? It only makes sense for your kids to honor you if you're living in an honorable way. I know I fall short. So we start breaking down these, just these few laws, we see one, oh my goodness, I need help. If we're honest. I know church is no place for honesty, but I'm going to encourage you to do that. And two, thank you God for your mercy and showing me this and leaning into him more for his strength, for his guidance, for his wisdom, because they're good. They're good. And I think the underlying issue with all this we talk about, because we... 
We just don't like rules, if we're honest. And the reason for our rebelling, I, I, I firmly believe it, is our own pride issues. I know it's for me. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? It comes down to, do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that? Because this drives everything else. Do you believe God is good? Because if so, then you will trust what he tells you and lovingly try to live out what he has for you. And to be clear, God has given us commands to follow. We're called into following him, into obedience. But the point is, not trying to force him to love us by living out these laws in a perfect way. No, we live in striving to obey, follow what he's commanded us, out of loving him. Like I think about, again, I go back to my, my, my relationship with my wife, our spouse relationship. I do a lot of things that she expects for me to do, not because she expects for me to do them. It's because I love her and I want to please her. I want to do these things. Do I love doing dishes? Absolutely not. No. Do I do dishes most of the time? I don't. But the sometimes I do. That's because I love her. It's no different with God. He has these expectations, but our heart posture matters a whole bunch. But the encouragement here we see, going back to Galatians 3, it says, but since faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. But through faith, you're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the point. That in Christ, we're all sons and daughters. And it says sons specifically, not because women are important, but it shows the elevation of women to all sonship as far as inheritance and authority, placed as sons, children of God. But it comes through by faith alone in Christ Jesus alone, by God's grace alone. And it has to be a point where we all surrender to that or reject it. That is the line that we walk. I'm just wondering, how many of us have really surrendered to, God, I need you? And I have faith that you did on the cross what I couldn't. That death that you died, I deserved it, but you took my place. And that through faith alone, I don't, I don't understand all of it, but I know that I have been forgiven, been cleansed from my unrighteousness, my sinfulness, because of your blood spilt on the cross for me. And rising on the third day, conquer death so I don't have to fear death or anything else because I am secure in you. This is the good news of the gospel. That we have this father-son, father-daughter relationship with God of the universe. In a way, Romans 8.15 says that we can call, cry out, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. And I love having small kids, especially my two-year-old. Every time I walk in the door, I hear a little girl voice saying, Daddy's home. Daddy, and she runs. But this is a relationship that we are able to have with God of the universe. To be able to say, Daddy. Let that sink in. Romans 10 tells us that forever who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because we talk about God's wrath, but you weren't meant to stay there. We'll be saved from God's wrath and placed into the family as children of God. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that means there will never be. From that point forward, when you put your faith in Jesus for salvation of sins, from your sins, to be righteous because of Jesus' righteousness, you will never, ever, ever be condemned again. Even though we have an enemy who will say, can you believe you did that? You're not even worthy to come worship on Sunday mornings. Man, some of you all, if we're honest, before we even come out of our car doors into the doors, we're thinking, oh man, I'm not even, I shouldn't even be worshiping this morning after I just treated my kids like that. 
talked to my spouse like that. I thought those things. But by God's grace, he says there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus means, yes, you sin and fall short, but what do you do with that? You turn and repent knowing that God's good grace brings forgiveness and the strength to be aware and to fight those things and not to surrender to them. Let me just do one last thing. If I raise the hands, you can raise your hands to church. Who's been born into a family? Anybody? I just want to see if you guys can actually do it, because I know y'all have, right? We all have. But so, like, I can see who the, you know, the charismatics are, like, yeah, woo, family. Everybody's like, Baptist or more like. We all have. If you think about it, I mean, whether you claim to or not, or you want to claim your family members, that's, that's a whole other story. What do you do to deserve being born into your family? Nothing. I think about my own kids. What do my own kids do to be a part of our family? They did nothing. And in the same way they did nothing to get into the family, they could never do anything to be removed from the family. Even though it seems like they try to sometimes, just to be honest. There's times. In the same way, that's our relationship with God through Jesus who did everything that either you receive it or reject it. By receiving what he did for you, you're accepted and received into the family. It says adopted, chosen, declared sons and daughters of God through Christ Jesus. And that will never, ever change. This is the good news of the gospel. Because I know we stray and we fall short and we do these things. This will never change. Ephesians 1 says you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So if God's chosen you, called you, adopted you by nothing of your own doing, then he'll never forsake you by anything that you do. I'm reminded as we close, I'm going to invite the, the band back up, and we're going to worship one last song as well. But the Apostle Peter, many of you know this, there's two people that ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter. It was interesting when Peter was walking on the water and you know, there's all kinds of sermons that said how he took his focus off Jesus and started to sink, and I think that's true. But the point I want to, for us to encourage this morning is when he did sink, in the midst of his drowning, what did he do? He had two choices. He could lean on his own inabilities and try to save himself which he would have drowned. Or he could have cried out and reached to Jesus. If you remember this account, that's exactly what he did. He saw his neediness. He saw the severity of the circumstance and says, I can't do this. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to drown. And he reached out. Jesus saved me. And Jesus did. Grabbed him, pulled him in the boat. And this is where I want us to get to this morning is seeing our sin and rejecting trying to do good enough to be better than badder and turn and say, Jesus, save me. And for those who are following Jesus, it's the same cry with a little different twist. Because when God shows you your sin, it's a reminder how much we still need him. And it's Jesus, forgive me. And he does. And he will.
And so I'm going to ask you to respond to what God's doing in your life at this moment. If he's showing you some sin, some blind spots you weren't aware of, praise God, turn and repent just right where you are and thanking him for the goodness of his grace as a good father who loves you and wants the best for you to know him and to be known by him and respond. And maybe for the first time this morning, you've known all these things about Jesus but never really truly surrendered to Jesus by faith. I'm going to plead with you to do that now. As we see the law that's more than rules, it's the goodness of his grace to draw you to himself. And it's not no magic prayer that you say, special words. It's you just cry out your heart, God, I don't know how, I don't know how you did it, but I need you. And I believe that right now, if I believe that, then I believe you will call me to yourself. That I'm declared a son or daughter of yours and been forgiven for all sin, past, present, and future, and walking in righteousness in you because of your righteousness that you displayed and lived out on my behalf. Whatever God's doing in your life, I'm going to ask you to respond. And so what we're going to do, the band's going to lead us in one more worship song. And so during that song, we'll have a prayer team over here. We love to pray with you, pray for you, walk alongside you, because you weren't meant to walk this faith journey alone. Maybe you'll pray with us. Maybe you just need to sit there and pray. Maybe you need to pray with someone around you. Or maybe your response is standing and singing because God is worthy. But be obedient to what God's calling you to do this morning, because you're not here by accident, and God's Spirit is still working. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the reminder of your goodness and your grace because you're a good Father. And right now, I just ask that you move your spirit in this room and show us our need for you again. If we've lost our way, if we've strayed, if we've gone our own way and just completely rejected or rebelled against you, I pray you bring us back to yourself. Show us the goodness of your grace, the loving Father that you are, Father. Lord, we just ask that you remove any blinders that we may have, remove any stresses, anxieties, fears that we're dealing with. Father, help us see you more clearly in the goodness of your grace. And right now, just wash your peace and presence over this place, over us as individuals. Help us just to come to you fully surrendered and say, save me, forgive me, because we know that you have, you did, and you do. Father, we thank you for being such a good, good Father and personally present here with us. Move in only ways that you can, Father. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name that's above every other name that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.